afternoon show with more. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday the 3rd of September and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is the CLIL method in language teaching. Welcome! Is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 45th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since August 2008. Yes, this is my anniversary. And I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach both languages and humanities, French, Spanish and history. I have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on x slash Twitter at prof prof MFL. All views are my own. Today, I would like to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and in my daily working life. The podcast and discussion with our interviewee, Ali, will be both on the topic of the CLIL method in language teaching. This podcast is mostly relevant to teachers and educators in the UK and worldwide, parents who are interested in what goes on in the education sector, people interested in languages, and anyone who's curious and wants to be well informed. So what does CLIL mean? This is an acronym that appeared in the 1990s and it stands for CLIL, Content and Language Integrated Learning. So this is not an acronym that makes complete sense when you first hear it. So we need to dive into the meaning of it. The CLIL method is a method that can be used in schools from kindergarten all the way to university and its main goal is to enable individual that is to say children and young adults to become learners and to access learning. The most important aspects of the CLIL methods are summarized in the four C's which stand for content, communication, cognition and culture. And they were described in a research paper written by Coyle in 1999. When they mean content, they mean the subject you're learning, whether it's geography or science or astronomy. Communication is the way we learn and share content. Cognition is what we go through when we learn. And culture, it's obviously the input we add to our teaching. So these are interrelated components of the CLIL method and they make up a type of 4Cs framework. 
where culture is really, really important. Culture is also linked to citizenship and community and our place in the world because the aim of teaching is to give young people and children access to learning, but also so that they can become educated citizens in the world. So this framework is described in a book, and I believe anyone who is interested in education should have this book on their shelf. So it's entitled CLIL, Content and Language Integrated Learning, and it was published and written by Doe Coyle, Philip Hood, and David March, who are the people who came out with the method, the CLIL method, in the 1990s. They use an emblem or um, image that summarizes the importance of learning, and this is an apple with its core. And its core, the center, is about remembering what we learn. And then there's other layers all the way up to the skin of the apple. So we start with the core, remembering, then we go to another level, which is understanding, and then there is applying, analyzing, evaluating and creating. So this is the image of the Apple core. Now, the point of the CLIL method is to create a borderless classroom. So this is an international universal method that aims at offering the best education for students. And this is not about sovereignty, borders and one country. It's about all the people on this planet learning together. So it was developed by Professor Doe Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E, and um, with another education researcher and author, Dr. David Marsh, they came out with that term CLIL. They say, and I quote Doe Coyle, that CLIL isn't just one model, it can be a theme, it can be principles, and we can spend a lot of time on it, time on it. But the fundamental principle of the CLIL method is that there is an integration between the language we learn and learning to use language through the development of content. So what they mean by that is that it's a subject, for instance, astronomy, but also a language. Content and language go together in the CLIL method. Dr. Doe Coyle is Professor of Language Education and Classroom Pedagogies at the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. And her specific research is really about making education cross-disciplinary. She really wants all the teachers in one school to work together on a curriculum and not just be in a department, for instance, not just doing DT, but also being interested in other subjects and other languages and including all these subjects and these languages together. It's plurilingual and it's cross-disciplinary. It has to contain elements of visual learning. Technology is really important in the CLIL method, but also that there is a strong interest in the arts, music, dance and um drawing as well. So it's really up for using video conferencing, digital communication, social media, all embracing the technological advancements, which are multiple and very, very, very easy to use nowadays in an effort to make our young learners 
universally interested, educated, and able to find out the resources they need to make them independent. So it didn't start in the 1990s, this effort. It was all the way back to the 1960s. We started seeing efforts to include language, not just in the language classroom, but in other subjects. And it started in the 1960s with immersion programs, such as in Canada, where they used English and also French or other native languages. But in the 1990s in Europe, we realized that we had to have a broader vision of education because we were part of the European Union. Obviously, since 2016, it's different in the UK, but I think it's even more important to keep broadening the minds of our students. So CLIL method is embedded in the construction of the European Union. It's to expand the curriculum to introduce other languages, not just the language you do if you are in France and you do French, but other languages, same in the UK. And the CLIL programs usually aim to increase the subject knowledge that students have. So let's say if they're studying, studying history, we want them to have a thorough, deep learning of history. But at the same time, we want them to improve their knowledge and skills of the language that we want them to learn, not their native language. For instance, if you're teaching a CLIL uh, method in France, you wouldn't use French as your, sub, as your content language. You would use another language. And this is the uh, interesting aspect of the CLIL method. So which subjects benefit the most from the CLIL method? Well, obviously, the language you want to teach. So if you are in Portugal and you want to teach English, English is going to benefit from the CLIL method. But the subjects that you're going to learn through studying English will be maybe biology, chemistry, uh, trades, business, social science, the arts, um, geography, etc. Now, we have noticed that some languages and some subjects are hard to use in the CLIL. And I'm thinking of maths and physics. They are less suited to a CLIL approach just because they're very technical in their nature. And um, it might be a better idea to focus on other subjects such as social science, uh, the arts and biology and chemistry rather than maths and physics if you want to start a CLIL approach in your school. Um, now, when we look at the CLIL method, we need to think about language, obviously, but it is a different way of seeing language. When you study French in the UK, you study French for studying French and for speaking French. You're doing language of learning. So you study French because you want to learn French. When you do a CLIL method, French is not your goal. It is one of the tools you're going to use for learning something else, such as history or culture or arts or drama or business studies. So you become a different a teacher, because it's not the point to just teach French, you are using French for learning. So you're going to teach a different type of French. You're going to teach a classroom French. You're going to give elements of languages in French, but in the view of teaching the subject you're focusing on. So if I'm teaching geography in French, 
in the CLIL approach, I'm going to focus on geological, geographical and sociological terms, such as all the words for volcano, river systems, ecosystem, etc. And then the ultimate goal of the CLIL method is to reach not language of learning, not just language for learning, but language through learning. So this is the beauty of CLIL when it's done well. It's you're not le learning French to be able to speak French. You're going to learn French as you learn another subject. So it's very beneficial. You're not just learning geography to become good at understanding the space you inhabit in your town, in your city, in your ecosystem, but you're going to be able to do that while also learning French. So it's a very successful way of learning. Now, language is one aspect of CLIL, but it's not the be end and all of it. Your point is to embrace other subjects. Now, if you want to think about the CLIL method and you're an educator, you need to focus on these four C's, culture, content, cognition, and communication. So you might want to use a mind map, have in a circle the four terms, culture, content, communication, and cognition, and then you just write out all the ideas you have with arrows in order to plan your lesson. But you're not going to approach it as I'm teaching French and I want them to know how to say their name or their age. This is not how you proceed. You proceed through the subject. So if it's about, let's say, geography again, you're going to focus on maybe the ecosystems in France, but not only. And you're going to think about different types of vocabulary you're going to need and language structures you're going to need. And they become secondary. It's not all about the language. The language is just a tool to acquire new knowledge about geography. So CLIL method is about linking content teaching and language teaching. So in my uh, example, if I'm teaching French with geography, I would focus on how to teach French, but in the way that it serves learning geographical terms and geographical concepts. Now, CLIL is seen differently by all the people who use it. It's seen differently by researchers and by teachers who are in the classroom, but it also differs depending on the country you live in. If you are in Spain, your CLIL is going to be very different from the CLIL method in England. Why? Because it's context-based. If you're in Spain, you might consider using the CLIL method because you know that if you teach English, for instance, with a subject, children are going to be more motivated because most children in Spain want to learn English because for them it's a plus for their studies and it's also a communication language. Something good for business. So in Spain, the teachers who are teaching, let's say, history, geography, the arts, or music, they are looking forward to adding English as the language because they know it's going to motivate students and they're going to be willing to take these classes. So it's content teachers who are choosing to use CLIL. Now, in the UK, the 
language landscape is very different. Languages aren't popular. Languages are seen as a chore rather than something interesting to do. So we suffer from a demotivation. The students don't want to study languages and they're studying it less and less. This is the language deficit that we have mentioned before. So in the UK, it's not going to be subject teachers, geography teachers, music teachers, arts teachers, who are going to push for CLIL to become an approach in their school. It's going to be language teachers because they want to motivate their students and they hope that by teaching geography or teaching history, in the language they're teaching, it's going to work better. So CLIL is multifunctional depending on the context where you work and where you live. Because CLIL has two aspects and it's binary. It's about content and language. And this is the beauty of CLIL. Now you're going to tell me, this is quite a tricky method, the CLIL method, because it's so fluid. If it changes depending on the country and maybe the student cohort you have, whether you're in a posh academic international school or an inner city school, this is really difficult to understand as a method. And I'm going to say, yes, it's true, but it's also a bonus because when the definition is fluid, then it can evolve and get more enriched with meaning. So every country has a different context. And even in, within one country, you can have a different context. So the definition is fluid because CLIL is a bit of an umbrella term for different approaches. Now, in some countries, like in Spain, CLIL stands more as another acronym, which is EMI, English as the medium of instruction. So in Spanish school, they're going to call their approach English as a medium of instruction because they're going to use English to teach food tech, English to teach maths, maybe, English to teach history and English to teach geography. So they have a language immersion program and they use that language the target language is English, and they use it in other subjects. Now, this is a little bit reductive of the CLIL method, because the CLIL method could potentially be completely different if you take a country like the Netherlands or Luxembourg or Switzerland, where there's more than one official language. You might have a school that offers history in Spanish, maths in French, and... Um, geography and music in English. So then it's not just one language that is considered, but multiple languages. So it's not just bilingual education, the CLIL method. It can be multilingual, but what matters is that you can adapt it to your setting. CLIL is mostly a method about group work because you need all the teachers to work together, subject specialists, and language specialist. And you need the, the, the whole school to have a language-inclined um, approach. You will struggle if you try to do the CLIL method on your own in a school that is not promoting languages. So CLIL is about collaboration, teamwork, working together. Language teachers and subject teachers need to have time to work together. And this is why if your workload is too heavy, you will not be able to put CLIL in place. So what are the advantages of the CLIL method? Well, it's simple. There is international.
Realization of methods, you're not just focusing on one aspect of your national education. You can look beyond borders and grab everything that works well in other countries. You rely on your experience as a teacher, whether you're a subject or content teacher. You broaden the mind of the teachers because they have to work with people from other departments. It's not just you're a history teacher and you teach history. You have to work with other teachers, maybe a music teacher, DT, and also in a different language, which is always broadening the mind. And you need to be open-minded, obviously. So the challenges of the CLIL method are clear now. You need teachers who are up for it. You need an SLT, senior leadership team, who is supportive of the approach. And you need also students who are curious about languages. You're going to have to have a lot of time and effort devoted to the CLIL method and its collective responsibility because everybody needs to be happy with it, supportive and working for it. So according to Alexandra Zaparucha, CLIL is a method where we learn a subject. Physics, maths, history, DT, music, geography, etc. But it is not taught in the native language that most students know. It is taught in a different language. And that's how you summarize the CLIL method, according to Alexandra Zaparucha. And then you can have differentiation. You can have hard CLIL, which is really subject-driven, and CLIL, where the content is taught by a language teacher. So it means that you don't have to be a specialist of medieval history to teach CLIL history. You will just have to be the French or the Spanish or the Russian teacher, and then you add historical elements to your lesson, your language lesson. But remember, the language is not the goal, it's the tool. So you have to shift away from too much grammar and too much vocab. Of course you need vocab and grammar, but it's not the aim of your CLIL lesson. Now, according to David Marsh, who was also one of the researchers who devised the acronym CLIL, CLIL needs to be supported by SLT. As I said, um, and in his experience, David Marsh says that CLIL won't work if you're the only teacher doing it in your school. It has to be collab collaborative. But he also says, David Marsh, that CLIL has to be systemic. CLIL needs a system in place. And this is why the whole school approach is essential. I believe that head teachers should be aware of the CLIL method and should choose whether their school is going to be a CLIL school or not. Because without the head teacher and all the different parts of the staff, all the cogs in the machine involved, your CLIL method won't be able to, to get running. So I hope I clarified how the CLIL method is. Now we can look at how we can make it work in the next step. But first, we're going to listen to the news. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. 
Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A wide range of media outlets have covered the ongoing issue of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or rack, and its use in buildings, including schools, leading to concerns around safety. The BBC reports that buildings at 52 schools in England were at risk of sudden collapse due to dangerous concrete. While safety measures have since been put in place at these schools, because the situation was deemed critical, more than 100 others have also now been told to close areas with the concrete. These buildings were previously thought to be at less risk. The new guidance follows the collapse of a beam that was thought to be safe. Head teachers are now making alternative plans just days before the start of the new academic year. Some pupils have been told they will be learning remotely, whilst others are being housed in temporary classrooms or even at other schools. The total number of confirmed schools affected in England is 156. The news has since triggered concerns in all three of the home nations. The Scottish Government said it was trying to establish how many schools contain rack whilst in Wales investigations continue, although there have been no reports at present. The Northern Ireland DV said schools were being checked as a matter of urgency. Ministers in England have been facing media and having struggled to keep up with a range of questions being asked, including how fixing the issues caused by RAC will be paid for. Opposition MPs have pointed out that schools themselves already have issues with funding and that local authorities have seen cuts in recent years, so finances may not be there at a local level. The DfE has also faced criticism for not publishing a list of schools affected, although it defended its actions and should hear direct from the school itself, at least at first. A school in Southend, which caters for pupils with physical and learning difficulties, has contacted the BBC to outline the significant challenges it is facing as the closure of its main building means staff and pupils cannot access essential special equipment. Whatever the outcome, it is certain that, for some pupils, this is the start of yet another unusual school year. Away from issues with buildings, Schools Week reports on plans to ensure all schools in England hold electronic registers which the Education Secretary will have direct access to. However, proposals to introduce thresholds at which penalty notices must be considered for unauthorised absences are paused. They were part of the currently shelved New Schools Bill. New rules are not expected to come into force until 2024, but it has been made clear that ministers see attendance as an area which must improve. More than half of parents who responded to the consultation on the plans for e-registers disagreed due to the possible punitive use of the data collected. Officials said it would be used to enable better early intervention. 92% of local authority workers and 85% of school staff who responded support the plan. The DfE will move forward with changes to simplify recording of attendance or absence. 
In total, 22.3% of pupils miss more than one in 10 sessions in the 2022 to 2023 academic year. This is compared to 22.5% in the year 21 to 22, despite significant government intervention. Prior to the pandemic, these rates sat between 10 and 13%. The TES reports that a group of watchdogs, including Ofsted, are jointly to carry out targeted inspections in schools where there is a risk of pupils being exposed to serious violence or exploitation. The inspections will happen in six unnamed local authorities and examine how police, social services and health services tackle serious youth violence. The focus will be on multi-agency interventions and could include interventions in schools, parks, shopping centres or specific streets where young people may be at risk. The team will include representatives from Ofsted, the Care Quality Commission, HMI of Constabulary, HMI of Probation Services, and each team will be led by an Ofsted Health and Social Care Inspector. Where a school is involved, they will be asked to show they have effective systems to identify children at risk of or subject to serious youth violence and children who are missing from school. The inspections will end in May next year. Full details of the report can be found on TES online. Finally, The Guardian reports that Lego is to begin selling bricks coded with Braille to help blind and partially sighted children learn to read the touch-based alphabet. The Danish makers of the bricks have made specialists tested and developed by blind organisations across the globe. The bricks have been sent to a selection of schools free of charge since 2020, but now they will be available more widely. LEGO hopes the initiative will help parents, siblings and others share in learning Braille and to encourage play interactions between sighted children and visually impaired friends. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So without further ado, we are going to talk to our interviewee, who is um, Ali. So welcome, Ali. Thank Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining, Ali. Um, so I just wanted to um, have your input concerning the CLIL method, uh, not because you are a university researcher who specialises on the CLIL method. That's not the aim of this interview. I just wanted to see in a pragmatic and um, just experimental way how you can apply CLIL in your classroom when you are a classroom teacher and when you're not a CLIL specialist. So first I'm going to ask you Ali, um, how long have you been working in education? Well, I've been working in education for a few years actually now because I started in Harris in January 2020, mm -hmm. but I worked in France as a Conseiller Principal d'Education, so it would be the equivalent of SLT focused on behavior management in the school. Yeah. And I taught as well philosophy to A-levels. So I think like little decade in France and three years in England. Okay, so you have two different systems of education you have experienced, the French system and then the English system so far. Exactly. And also I've been working on that in my researches actually, because I've been really lucky to work in these two systems. Okay. So for my dissertation, for example, I compared that. So it's very interesting right. actually. 
Um, so what is your main responsibility at work at the moment? So when you start uh, on Monday, what are your main responsibilities? Um, I will be starting as lead practitioner. I've been working for a bit more than a year, a year and a half as lead practitioner in my school. So my main responsibilities um to improve the teaching and and the quality of education across the school but mainly in the mfl department obviously because i'm a, i'm an mfl teacher mm -hmm. um i will be working on the curriculum development as well in harris we have a team of consultants so we are we are very lucky we can collaborate easily with them so at different level across the the federation but all or inside the at the level of our school. Uh, I will be working as well on assessment, data analysis, collaboration across the school with different departments for different projects, such as travels or working on equalities. For example, we will be working straight on Black History Month because mm -hmm. it's coming quite quickly. In October, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, on these kind of things and professional development, mentoring. I have a mentee, she's amazing. So she's ECT too, and I will continue to support her. We will be working on how to improve her approach, the behavior management, the strategy, the little things as well. We started actually during holidays because, you know, teachers are brave enough to work during holidays. So we changed her sitting plans because we 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 identified her needs and indeed we will try to change a few things. Mm -hmm. So and when you mean ECT too, it's a newly qualified teacher who is um, doing a two-year program to become a fully qualified teacher, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Early career teacher. Yes, uh, it's good to always remind people what the acronyms mean because we talk with a jargon in in education yeah. and uh, not all um, listeners are aware of all the acronyms used in uk schools for that matter so ect are newly qualified teachers who need to wait two years before they get their full accreditation um so i can see you're going to be very busy yeah <laughs> yeah next week like all of us yeah. Definitely. So uh, my next question is about your teaching style, because um, I know that you teach French. Not not everybody knows. So I'm, I'm saying it. This is your main um, subject in UK schools. You did teach philosophy before in French schools, but now you focus on French. So what is your teaching style? If you had to explain it to a parent or a colleague who doesn't do French, how would you um, describe your teaching style? Um, my teaching style would be, um, well, I learned how to teach, um, in another way in, at Goldsmith University, because from in France, I used to teach in a very, let's say classical way mm -hmm. because yeah, I used to teach mainly year 13. So it was completely different. Um, at Goldsmith, we learned, uh, the CLT, so the communicative language teaching. So we are using. Uh, different activities in the classroom um, with kinesthetic uh, activities. So it's allowing everyone, whatever their they needs to be involved in the class. So it's, it's super helpful for the differentiation 
and to be focused on the full skills. I used to say to the parents when they are visiting the school, you know, for the transition year six, year seven, that I'm cheating a little bit because, for example, my students are singing or they are playing, they are, we are using games, and for them it's just to have fun. But mm -hmm. obviously there, there is a huge work be behind that because we want them to work on their pronunciation. We want to help them to memorize the the main vocab of the topic. So for them, they will just be repeating, but they will improve their skills. They're listening, they're speaking, and then later on they're writing and they're reading as well. Could you so, give us a few examples of the sort of activities you do? that imply um, that game or singing or acting? What sort of activities do you do? Um, uh, one of the activities they really like is repetitive true. So for example, I will have six pictures on, on the screen mm -hmm. and they will have to repeat the word I will be pointing if what I'm saying is the word I'm pointing. Does it yeah. make sense? Yeah. So if you have um, six animals, you point at the cat, the children have to say le chat. You exactly. point at the dog, they have to say le chien. But sometimes you might point at a crocodile and you might say le chat. And then if they repeat after you, they lose. Is that the game? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we're, I'm counting the points and um, they are very, very competitive. They're all of them engaged. They love that. They're working a lot on their pronunciation because obviously I will be repeating the most difficult words and they will not notice. And of course, I'm trading with them. But to be honest, I'm lying sometimes. I should not say that. <laughs> <laughs> For example, I'm telling them that if they win, they will have half homeworks, but they don't know what will be the homeworks anyway. So they are super happy to have less work but less homework whereas yeah. it's the same that you had planned but yeah. then they'll never know yeah i hope oh, well, they sometimes the podcast but yeah sometimes lying <laughs> can be a good thing <laughs> if it's about the quantity of homework <laughs> yeah. so you would would you describe your um method as um uh learning through games and fun mostly yes i would not say mostly but it's a yeah it's a part of it Part of it because there is also um, different. There is a kind of scaling. For example, for each um, activity, we are starting with the whole class, and then in little groups, so the students are feeling more and more confident. And then at the end, they are working independently, and it's very important for them to start all over together, and then in pairs or in little little groups, and then to work alone. So they feel safe and they are able to, to understand properly without, without the stress of working and feeling unable to do the task. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you about the target language, uh, TL, as we say when we use acronyms. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because I, I'm aware that usually in the CLIL method, there's an emphasis on using the target language mostly, if not only. So what are your thoughts and uh, how is it in your practice? I think ideally it's a great idea to use the target language mostly in the class, if not 100% of the time. I've been very lucky to have some amazing teachers at Chim and George Green schools during my, my um, PGC. 
But I think as well that um, the teacher should have a proper diagnosis of his or her um, students mm -hmm. and maybe to start to implement it slowly and not to go straight on 100% lesson in target language. From the example, first lesson. <laughs> or even from the first year. Ah. Honestly, yeah, because when I started in my school, I realized that I would never be able to go straight on on this, you know, 100% target language method because they were rejecting languages. They hate languages. So my first priority was to, to reconnect them with languages. And if I'm putting the, the expectations too high, I would have never been able to achieve this, to, to meet this target. And now that after three years, my relationship is more, is much better. I can, it is stronger you know, now after three yeah, years. Yeah, definitely. And then I'm starting to put more and more and more. And sometimes it's taking years. It depends from, from where you are starting. If you are starting from an amazing school, well, amazing, I mean, in a school where priorities are mainly focused on learning, if, yeah, it depends. It depends on the needs of your students. Yeah, it depends where, uh, as well, where you are. Um, there's more people who are likely to um, take languages for their GCSE or A-levels in the southwest of the UK than in the northeast. So you really need to know um, the geography of where you live and where you work and how to adapt to your students. Um, so you use, you try to use mostly uh, the target language, which is French in your circumstances. You use a lot of games, activities to engage your students, and then you adapt to their needs. Now, what do you know about the CLIL method? Could you try and explain it in your own words? Because it is quite a difficult method to describe in general terms. Yes, indeed, it's quite, it's quite difficult to describe because for me, the CLIL method and the method we, we learned at Goldsmiths are quite similar in a lot of points. So for me, it's mostly um, transmitting subject knowledge and language skills through activities and by using as much as possible the target language. So using authentic, authentic material, active learning, and also, and I really appreciated that because I was not doing it enough, um, interdisciplinary collaborations. So yeah, it's more meaningful for the students. And if they are, if they are learning from different teachers or in a, in another environment, they are more curious because curiosity is, is one of the main quality of child for learning. They're always curious. So we have yes. to fit need. And if we are bringing something new, they will be curious and they will be more, more engaged, engaged, but also it will be easier to catch them kind of, if it makes sense. Yes, yes, it does catch their attention for sure. Um, so you gave a very accurate description of the CLIL method. Now my question is, are you able to use the CLIL method principles in some of your teaching? Yes, yes, I've been able to, to use it because, um, as I said, I'm using already 
songs and games and activities and even sometimes for example at the end of the year my year seven was struggling with the with the heat because well it was very warm and so we just took our books and we we went outside the classroom we went yeah just to sit on the grass outside and mm -hmm. they were very happy and we were just doing activities because they needed that and then they were super engaged and for me it was much better than to have them in the classroom just struggling and just waiting for the end of the lesson and it worked much more than i, I expected actually so what much sort of activities did you do when you were outside when we were outside we were and the Trois Soleil, for example, mm -hmm. classic French game. Exactly. But I adapted to a green light, red light, and I used like different cards and I mixed it with repetitive truth. So if it was the word I was saying um, on the card, they were mm -hmm. able to move on. If it was not, they should just wait. And obviously, if they're moving when they are supposed to be frozen, they would be eliminated. So, um, un, deux, trois, soleil, uh, for our dear listeners, is a little bit like, uh, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Um, there's one student who is against a wall, facing the wall, and there's a line of students, or row of students, uh, further back. And whenever the, st the student facing the wall turns back, the other students have to be immobile like statues. And when the student faces the wall again, then the students can come closer. And the first one who touches the wall is the one who wins. So in your game, you added a layer of complexity because they had to follow one of the previous tasks you had done in class. Exactly. exactly. So that's very, did you, did you plan it or was it just thinking mm. on your feet? It, it was completely spontaneous. And after this training, we had the chance to, to have in Malaga uh, on the clear. I'm considering to collaborate with the PE teachers, particularly for the end of the year. When it will be very warm, I would like us to work together on these kind of activities outside. It's a very, very good idea. And it reminds me of one of the homework I gave to my students during the first lockdown. So if we revisit our lockdown experience, maybe not very enjoyable, but it was in the winter and it was um in um so that the children i mean second lockdown actually it was uh the time when children couldn't really go outside because it was the run-up to christmas and i had to give them some homework for french and i really didn't want them to have to do something that was boring and that they couldn't do on their own so i told them to go for a walk when they were allowed to have their walk outside, take pictures with their phones of the local area, and then once home, to put the pictures on a PowerPoint and to label it. So for instance, they would be saying, there is a bridge, and then they uh, the, the students with low abilities would just write bridge equals pont in French, and the ones who had uh, high abilities could make their own sentences, they would write, il y a un pont. And apparently they really enjoyed that activity because it made them go outside, whereas a few just had lost the, the habit of going outside because we were in lockdown. And uh, they, they really had fun doing that piece of homework. And I think it's really 
worth considering taking the kids outside, whether for homework or in in class with you, because as you say, being in, in open air is better for them. And it also is improving engagement and motivation. So we should try and plan this. Now, my next question is, how did SLT react to you taking your students outside without having asked for permission beforehand? Well, honestly, I have to say that the SLT and my my line managers are very, very supportive for this kind of this kind of actions and initiatives. So they were very happy, actually, as soon as I put on the door where we were. So obviously, like for safeguarding and well-being, they knew where we were. So it was fine. They were very happy. And actually, when I told them how I want to improve it, they were very, very happy as well. So they're encouraging me to work this way. That's because brilliant. Because they can see that the, the impact on this approach, as I said at the beginning, the students were rejecting languages. And now most of them, they, they, they are very happy to come to learn languages. So for example, I organized a trip to Paris and we were super happy to have more than 30 students going. So it's, yeah, That's it's successful. We are very happy about that. I can see why you're a lead practitioner because you have... Um innovations that you bring to the classroom and um you are you're doing it naturally it seems <laughs> without having to plan and that's the beauty of it because you're doing intuitive teaching and then the children are even more reactive so i but, think i think it's brilliant brilliant technique but it, look, it looks it looks in, intuitive or um, spontaneous but actually um well it will sound a bit awkward but i'm thinking very often of my students for example, during the holidays, I played uh, a game called Double. I did not mm -hmm. know this at all, but apparently it's very famous. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a very fun game. I mean, if you have children in the UK, you know about Double. Yeah, but I did not because I don't have children. So I'm considering, you know, just to to prepare some cards like the seven families or double and this kind of things just to make them work on their pronunciation and to be engaged through a game so of course it will it would take time and well time is the main resource for teachers i think we lack on time yeah we but, do yeah but yeah it would be very nice so I, I wrote that somewhere and one day maybe if i have time i will i will work on that yes you reminded me i have two double uh, games and I need to bring them to school so I can actually use it with the students. I did use it before when I was teaching children who were in primary and um, for some reason when you gravitate to teenagers you forget that they still enjoy board games so it's a good reminder to use board games in the classroom. But for that as well I've been surprised because I've been leading the French club in my school and I wanted to use the Nintendo Switch there in French. So yeah. I prepared some vocab in French and everything. And I thought that my students would love it to play Mario Kart and these things. But actually, they preferred playing Monopoly. So I was just thinking, okay, fair enough. Maybe because at home they are playing more often Nintendo Switch and not, not really board games because, well, because of different reasons. So we used to play Monopoly and now I will implement a double and things. So yeah, it depends. We just have to listen to them actually most of the time. 
Yeah, follow their lead. When yeah. you give um, a board game such as the Monopoly, how do you introduce the language they need to play the game? I'm speaking French. And for the main vocab, we are building together the vocab list. For example, for the, um, for the Monopoly, the first time we played, we put a, uh, a paper in the middle and then we were writing je commence, I start, uh, you're cheating, tu triches. All mm -hmm. these um, interactions they are using often, I'm encouraging them to say it in French. And if they're not, I told them, okay, if you're not using the interactions in French, we will change the rules and maybe you will have, well, something taken off, like a property or something like that. So they will be more focused. And so just you... adapt the rules, I'm cheating a bit, honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm making it. Like if you are using the, the, inter the, the, um, the target language, you would be able to roll the dice again or something like that. Okay. And sometimes it's upsetting them, but it works because my main goal is to encourage them to speak French. Indeed, and it works. It because works they want to win the game. To win the game, <laughs> so I'm just changing, changing the rules, it's fine. All right. Thank you, Ali. We're going to listen to the news. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills through inclusive content. The new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A wide range of media outlets have covered the ongoing issue of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete or rack and its use in buildings, including schools, leading to concerns around safety. The BBC reports that buildings at 52 schools in England were at risk of sudden collapse due to dangerous concrete. While safety measures have since been put in place at these schools because the situation was deemed critical, more than 100 others have also now been told to close areas with the concrete. These buildings were previously thought to be at less risk. The new guidance follows the collapse of a beam that it was thought to be safe. Head teachers are now making alternative plans just days before the start of the new academic year. Pupils have been told they will be learning remotely, whilst others are being housed in temporary classrooms or even at other schools. The total number of confirmed schools affected in England is 156. The news has since triggered concerns in all three of the home nations. The Scottish Government said it was trying to establish how many schools contain RAC, whilst in Wales investigations continue, although there have been no reports at present. The Northern Ireland DV said schools were being checked as a matter of urgency. Ministers in England have been facing media and having struggled to keep up with a range of questions being asked, including how fixing the issues caused by RAC will be paid for. Opposition MPs 
have pointed out that schools themselves already have issues with funding and that local authorities have seen cuts in recent years, so finances may not be there at a local level. The DfE has also faced criticism for not publishing a list of schools affected, although it defended its actions saying parents should hear direct from the school itself, at least at first. A school in Southend, which caters for pupils with physical and learning difficulties, has contacted the BBC to outline the significant challenges it is facing, as the closure of its main building means staff and pupils cannot access essential special equipment. Whatever the outcome, it is certain that, for some pupils, this is the start of yet another usual school year. Away from issues with buildings, Schools Week reports on plans to ensure all schools in England hold electronic registers which the Education Secretary will have direct access to. However, proposals to introduce thresholds at which penalty notices must be considered for unauthorised absences are paused. They were part of the currently shelved New Schools Bill. New rules are not expected to come into force until 2024 but it has been made clear that ministers see attendance as an area which must improve. More than half of parents who responded to the consultation on the plans for e-registers disagreed due to the possible punitive use of the data collected. Officials said it would be used to enable better early intervention. 92% of local authority workers and 85% of school staff who responded support the plan. The DfE will move forward with changes to simplify recording of attendance or absence. In total, 22.3% of pupils miss more than one in 10 sessions in the 2022-2023 academic year. This is compared to 22.5% in 21-22, despite significant government intervention. Prior to the pandemic, these rates sat between 10 and 13%. The TES reports that a group of watchdogs, including Ofsted, are jointly to carry out targeted inspections in schools where there is a risk of pupils being exposed to serious violence or exploitation. The inspections will happen in six unnamed local authorities and examine how police, social services and health services tackle serious youth violence. The focus will be on multi-agency interventions and could include interventions in schools, parks, shopping centres or specific streets where young people may be at risk. The team will include representatives from Ofsted, the Care Quality Commission, HMI of Constabulary, HMI of Probation Services, and each team will be led by an Ofsted Health and Social Care Inspector. Where a school is involved, they will be asked to show they have effective systems to identify children at risk of or subject to serious youth violence and children who are missing from school. The inspections will end in May next year. Full details of the report can be found on TES online. Finally, The Guardian reports that Lego is to begin selling bricks coded with Braille to help blind and partially sighted children learn to read the touch-based alphabet. The Danish makers of the bricks have made specialist versions tested and developed by blind organisations across the globe. The bricks have been sent to a selection of schools free of charge since 2020, but now they will be available more widely. LEGO hopes the initiative will help parents, siblings and others share in learning Braille and to encourage play interactions between sighted children and visually impaired friends. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. 
So we were interrupted by the news and now we are back with our interviewee, Ali, who's sharing his experience of CLIL method and also his own approach to teaching French in a UK school. So Ali, you were telling me about the advantages of um, the methods you're using. Now, could you tell me what are the advantages and the inconvenience in the CLIL method that you have encountered in your practice? Um, for the advantages, I would say it's improving a lot, as I said, the engagement. It's helping us as well on the differentiation. Um, and we can work on the full, on the full skills and it's more meaningful for the students. This would be the main, um, advantages of this method. And if I, I found actually only one inconvenience. It would be to be very careful on the GCC expectations, which are very strategic, if I can say it like this. And sometimes with the clear method, we are sometimes losing that. So on the grammar and the specific, the specific, the specific um, needs to achieve the highest grade in the yes. GCC, makes sense. Yes, that would be more for students who are taking the higher paper, I assume. Yes, for higher paper, it's, it could be tricky. So we have to compensate that with, with another, um, with specific homeworks. I'm differentiating the homeworks mostly for paper, but to be honest, I have to do it more and more because it's not enough. So yes, we have to be very careful on that. So you're saying that you feel like you have to stretch between the advantages of the CLIL method and the requirements of the GCSE exam. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is there any other inconvenient in trying to implement the CLIL method in a UK school? No, to be honest, I don't, I don't see any other inconvenient. Honestly, most of my students are very happy with it. The parents, are when they are coming to visit and observing a bit, my, my, my lessons, they are very happy as well. And it works for everyone. The only one is the only inconvenient. And I think it's easily manageable. I just have to focus on that this year. It's the, the GCSE. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be careful on that. All right. So when we talk about CLIL, we have the association and the combination two important parts. It's content and uh, language. So the subject and the language. So you seem to be an expert uh, all related to the language. Now, what aspect of subject do you add when you use the CLIL method in your practice? Um, I'm using mostly authentic, authentic materials to keep them on track. So um, would, would you define it as sociological elements or um, historical elements regarding French culture? A bit of everything, actually, depending on the, on the level. Um, for my year 13, uh, we are focused on the contrast between how France is represented and how France is in the real life. Mm -hmm. But for year seven, we are, we are more focused on fighting the, the prejudice and the stereotypes. So 
for example, um, we are using different um, representation of the French people because they always see them as white and and straight and non-believers or Christians. Mm-hmm. And yes, we are stri- striking these pictures as soon as we can. And Someone wearing a beret and a Breton t-shirt. Yes, but also I'm, I'm not helping with that. Uh, with a big accent and to be honest yes i'm this idea <laughs> do you yeah. wear breton t-shirts <laughs> not really but sometimes when i don't know sometimes i'm saying oh la la and yes indeed my year 10 my year 11 are often saying oh sir you are so french you are so french but yes indeed i am but yeah but it's fine it's but okay. not only not just french you're many things. not just french no <laughs> <laughs> more French than than I thought actually yes uh, you know what this is something I was reflecting on today because um, I was joking obviously being a woman of color Uh, when I was in France people referred to me as the black one or the mixed race one at a stretch Um, and I was quite relieved when I moved to the UK because they referred to me as the French one (laughs) So I became, from being identified as my skin color in France, I was identified as as my nationality in the UK. And I felt like it was almost a relief, even though it's it's strange because in France, no one would refer to you you as being the French one because everybody's French mostly. And um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. The more you travel, the more you are seen through a different lens. And it affects the way you identify yourself. So definitely the way they are in the identifying you and but well, it's another question, but I mean well, it's for, it's a whole podcast. Yeah, <laughs> discriminations and yeah, it's a whole other topic. Yeah. But I, I like the fact that in um, within the CLIL method or under its umbrella, you managed to bring up some very important issues that can be related to the subject of PSHCE, so personal social health education and yeah. civil education. When you talked about prejudice and stereotypes, this is what we do in PSHCE. So it's yeah. very, very in um, um, on board with the curriculum. Yeah, definitely, because the first thing I'm starting to do, even before September, during the summer, is to take my year calendar and to put all the events of the year. So as I said previously, obviously we will be working on Black History Month in October, but then we have all the and all the things coming. For example, in June, we're celebrating the GRT um, people. So my students, they know because we did that three, for two, we've done that for two years. So what is the acronym standing for? Oh, sorry. It's uh, Gypsies, uh, Romans and Travelers. GRT. Okay, so travelers. Okay, very interesting, because they're they're often forgotten when we talk about minorities. Yes, true. Mm -hmm. We focus on the BAME, the Black and uh, Asian ethnic minorities, but we forget that there are um, people who are from um, travelers' backgrounds, and they are suffering from a lot of... um, I would I wouldn't even say persecution because if you happen to check social media when there's uh, 
some uh, people coming and settling in an area, you would see how atrocious it is in the terminology used on social media. So it's definitely a very important day you're celebrating there. And our kids are always connected. So my students, they even from this community, they have this own prejudice on their own community. Mm -hmm. For example, when I worked in June on Esmeralda, I was yes. explaining and showing them how brave she was and how beautiful she was. And they were, they were confused because they were very happy, but also it's as if they did not really believe it. They did not really believe it. Like, really, sir, is she represented this way in the book and in the musical? And yes, she's very brave. She, she's strong and beautiful. Independent. Independent. And, and then I would be working more for next year on that. And uh, we worked also on Kenji Girac. And I told them that, you see, in France, we have this singer. He's great. He's popular. He's handsome. He's young. He's, and he's proud of his culture and thing. And yes, indeed, it works. So as soon as it works, it's like every single system. If it works, continue. If it doesn't, reflect and improve it or do something else. But if Adapt it works. It. Yes. Yes. So it's a very good idea, the calendar. Um, I started doing it. I put International Labor Day because a lot of students don't even know the origin of Labor Day. Um, it's important to tell them about the rights to strike because teachers have been on strikes a lot lately and uh, they might not always know that it started in the US and it became an international day of remembrance because strikers were killed by the police and policemen were killed as well in that protest so it's really important to to use history this is this is history but it's also citizenship uh, we need to know why people strike and the risks and um, we could add International Women's Day. We can add, um, obviously you mentioned it, Black History Month. Uh, there is um, the Day of Recognition of Slavery in oh, France. Um, yeah. So Visible lots of, sorry? Visible Day, people with yes. disabilities. Disability Day, definitely. Yeah. So I think we, we should definitely have um, a school calendar of all the important events throughout the year. And we should always link it to our teaching and its content, and we do it with the language. So it's definitely um, in the clear Yes, yes, we're doing that. I'm very lucky because my colleagues from other departments are very engaged on this kind of activities and projects. So yes, we're working quite a lot actually together. Yeah, LGBT plus as well is very yes. important. Indeed. Yes. So how often do you think you work with other departments? Uh, is that a monthly event, weekly event? Um, it depends what you mean by working together, because actually we are reflecting quite often, if maybe, if not daily, few times per week, particularly in humanities. And then we have like small projects, like sharing ideas, like sharing one or two slides sometimes. And then we have bigger projects, of which, of course, take more time. For okay. example, my colleague is going to Belgium mm -hmm. uh, for a history project. And she invited me because, of course, I'm the French teacher and I can collaborate on the cross-curriculum thing. But we did not have the time yet. So we know we will find something. But we need each other to 
to make this project better. Yes. Yeah. And, and pair work is what we want the students to do. So we have to model it and Definitely. show it and the example. And it's improving a lot of things, actually. It's kind of a systemic approach because seeing us working together and even in small things, laughing together and sometimes just sharing, you know, that it's impacting so much the behavior management because yes. they see us united. They see us, you know, like, like them actually. Oh, sir, you are friends with her and you are friends with them. And you're already, oh, yes, we are friends. Yes, we, 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 we like spending time together and we like working together. And this is what friends are supposed to be. We're supposed to pull up, up to pull us together up through and mm -hmm. yeah, make good projects and not to do silly things actually. It's and a very that. important word you used when you said systemic. This is the word that David Marsh, one of the researchers who came out with the CLIL acronym and the CLIL method, he said it had to be systemic the way you approach this uh, teaching method because you can't do it on your own. You can't decide if you are um, a language teacher or even a subject teacher who's not a linguist. You can't do it on your own in your classroom. You can try but you're quickly either gonna burn out or lose the time and the motivation. It has to be teamwork, collaboration, partnership, because then all the ideas can, you know, it's like a ping pong game and um, we um, enrich each other's thinking by sharing. Because we, are, we have the same goal. I love, I love um, a goal from France saying, clearly that our main purpose is to educate future enlightened citizens. Mm -hmm. This is the main purpose. And of course, I would be very happy my students are achieving amazing grades at the end of the GCSE and everything. But my main um, target is to make them um, enlightened citizens. To, yes. to, know, to help them to know how to be happy, to be respectful and have to live, how to live in the society. And it's very, very important that we all of us work on that together. Yes, we want our students to be enlightened citizens of the world. And I think yeah. the CLIL method is definitely a very good tool to achieve that yeah. goal. Yeah, definitely. for sure. Um, so I'm going to ask you finally, Ali, to tell us what would you recommend for um, any teachers who is listening to this podcast and is thinking, I would like to know more about the CLIL method and, and maybe try and apply some of its principles in my classroom. What would you recommend? Um, I would recommend them to, to go on AWL websites which is a huge support for, for all this method. We have a lot of resources there. So AWLL stands for Association for Language Learning. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and um, what else? Maybe to, if they are working on their PGC, maybe to try to find a school for their placements where they are using this method to speak to their teachers. If they are already in a school, maybe to try to connect with teachers who are already using this method and and to to try to have some resources to implement this method in their classroom yeah yes there is a youtube channel 
Clear Matters. And there is also the book written by um, Doug Coyle and David March, uh, Clear, uh, which was published in the 1990s when it started. So there is lots and lots of um, YouTube videos as well where they can get some information. Um, so Ali, I would like to say thank you for you for coming um, with us at Teacher Talk Radio and sharing your view on how to apply the CLIL method in your practice. And um, I am um, going to ask you, uh, what are your plans for the coming week uh, since we start school on Monday? So what's your plan? Uh, my plan is to welcome my students in the their new classroom because I changed a lot of things and to have the first lessons actually focused on the on the classroom rules, which is a very important part of the curriculum for me, for them to know uh, what I'm expecting. And yes, just to have a fresh start, all of us to stay motivated and engaged. Sounds fabulous, Ali. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Thank you more. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.